Welcome to the Possibility Action Network podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Middleton, AKA Possibility Man. We're committed to bringing you guests who strive to better people's lives and serve as a force for good in the world. Our guest today is Karen Bush. She is a board certified integrative and functional medicine health coach. She empowers clients to optimize their health, gain energy and vitality, and the focus to produce measurable results in business and in life. Her brand promise is to support individuals in developing smart habits that lead to optimal health and well being. Karen, welcome to the show today. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Stephen. Well, look, I'm look, looking forward to our conversation, but first, this program note, I want to remind our listeners and our viewers to follow, like, and share this podcast wherever you find it. Also, below the description of this program, you'll find a note about our sponsor, Karen Bush, a functional integrative medicine health coach. Wow. <laughs> uh, look here, um, I noted in your biography that you have a background in speech and hearing and also a graduate degree in speech pathology. Did you work in this field before doing what you're doing now? I did uh, for about 27 years, which seems crazy. It doesn't seem like it's been that long, but I was a medical speech pathologist in uh, hospitals primarily with adults. Uh, for 27 years. And that's sort of the foundation of my uh, healthcare experience. And, you know, it, it definitely shifted. So if you want to know that, I can let you know that too, how that. How yeah, that you know, you know, that's a, you're in this career, you're obviously doing it for more than two decades. And then you seem to pivot. So I am interested in why you pivoted and I want to follow up with this. I'm going to tell you now, because not only did you pivot, you took a deep dive into what you're doing now. So can you talk, walk us through the pivot for me? Sure. Well, you know, for many years, I, I absolutely loved what I did as a speech pathologist. I worked with people primarily who had swallowing disorders and cognitive disorders from head injury, brain tumor, stroke, Alzheimer's, any kind of neurological deficit. And, and I loved it and I learned so much um, on the job, right? When Back when I was in graduate school, we didn't really have courses on swallowing. That seems ancient, ancient news now, right? There's, there's just, you know, um, no, no end to all the courses in swallowing, but I had to learn it on the job and I loved it. But there came, became a point where I felt like it was out of alignment with my own beliefs around health and wellness. And I felt like there was more that I could offer people. Um, I certainly felt like I did good work as a therapist and I connected with people, but I lived in my own sort of um, world of health and wellness that was different from what the hospital was doing. And so traditional healthcare sort of seemed not like the place I wanted to be anymore. Um, and it was, it was really a, a struggle. I, I spent a few years trying to figure out where I wanted to go. And then, um, and I'd always focused on, on health for myself, right? Mm -hmm. My father had his first heart attack at 36. And so I, ever since I worked in the hospital systems, it was right in front of me, lifestyle choices that, are, are, that can precipitate chronic illness. Mm -hmm. So I always took my own health very seriously around nutrition and exercise. And those two things 
most people pay attention to. And so I did, right? And then I started to feel like I'm, I'm feeding people food in hospitals, checking their swallowing. And this is not food that I would probably say is the healthiest thing to give them. So it started to just feel out of alignment. Um, and what ended up happening was a friend of mine um, posted something about going to Duke University for an integrative medicine health coach training program. And I looked at that and I thought, that's perfect. How did I not think about this before? <laughs> so I ended up doing my first coach training at Duke University. And when I did that, I thought, you know, I've, I've had a good run in speech pathology. I've learned so much. I felt for the most part, really, really good about what I did. Um, but towards the end, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave my speech therapy career in the, in the past, right? This is, I'm moving into a new direction. And this was the stuff that I spent my time outside of work, paying attention to and focusing on healthy behaviors, you know, nutrition, um, healthy eating, exercise, all of those things. So I spent all my extra time figuring those things out for myself. And so it just seemed perfect to do it as a coach. So I did the Duke training. Okay, that's great. And, you know, and today uh, the terms integrative medicine, functional medicine are used a lot, but um, could you share with us, what do these things mean? What is integrative medicine? What is functional medicine? And then what does a functional integrative medicine coach do in the world? Okay, that's a good question. So there is, um, I think, a little, um, some people would be challenged by um, understanding the definition between integrative and functional. I use the term integrative because my Duke program was integrative medicine, and I did another coach training program in functional medicine. Um, but integrative really means that you integrate so many different things, so many different modalities within um, the treatment that you give for someone. So instead of thinking about just diet, right, it's, it's things like stress management, sleep, relationships, um, spirituality, right? That's a basis for a healthy lifestyle is to have some sense of spirituality. Um, what your environment is like, the people that you're, you're having a relationship with, those people affect your health as well. Mm -hmm. So when you think about integrative, and functional, right? They're, it's, it's, they're a lot of them are interchangeable. I think in the beginning, integrative would talk about bringing in things like acupuncture and um, Reiki and some energy medicine practices that, that maybe traditional medicine didn't bring in. Functional medicine does the same thing. The difference that I saw in functional medicine versus integrative quite a few years ago was that functional medicine physicians um, do more testing. So they look a little bit deeper to find the root cause. Um, they'll test gut microbiome. They'll, they'll do testing for stress. They'll do testing for hormones, genetics, how your body actually absorbs the nutrients that you're eating, um, whether or not your body is deficient in certain things. Um, so I think that they're, they're very complementary. Um, but I think the term integrative medicine was used well before functional medicine was used. So there's really, you know, they're very compatible. Mm -hmm. I see, see. Well, you know, when you look at society today and we're both in the United States, how are we doing as a, as a culture in respect to healthy living? How would you, what, how would you grade us? <laughs> oh my goodness. 
I, I think that, um, I think because our country has so much, we spend so much on, on healthcare, but we have the poorest outcomes. Mm -hmm. The US is, is probably number one in what we spend in healthcare, yet we are one of the sickest nations, right? We've got lots of heart disease, cancer, all kinds of chronic illness that um, doesn't seem to be um, helped, frankly, uh, that much by um, what we're doing. So we still have, I, I, the, my grade would not be good, <laughs> yeah. but I think that it's, it's coming together, right? Conventional medicine sometimes integrates now with integrative and functional medicine. And I think, I think what I'm excited about is that there are more phys physicians looking to things like integrative and functional medicine to bring into their practice mm -hmm. or they're saying, you know, there's more physicians using health coaches that, that can help people understand how do I, how do I actually change what I'm doing on a daily basis? You know, a physician can give somebody um, recommendations to change your diet, right? If maybe you have a diagnosis of, of diabetes or prediabetes, you should, you should eat healthier, but what does that really mean? Right. And so I think, I think the, the world of health coaching has exploded over the last, uh, probably since I did my training, there are so many more trainings available for, for health coaches um, because they realize that this is the way to actually help their patients implement the things that they're suggesting. It's, it's not easy to just see a doctor for 10 minutes and they give you a list of things to do. And then you go home and go, okay, I'm not quite sure how to do this. Or it just seems overwhelming and, and people don't do it. So yeah. I think the grade, going back to your question originally, our grade is not so great right now. Um, mm. I think if we looked at the research, it's just really not, it's not top notch. Yeah. Is it fair to say that allopathic medicine or traditional medicine is really set up to manage diseases as opposed to cure diseases? Or well, how would you respond to that? Is that a fair question? Yeah, I think that's a fair question. I think that we, um, we are more around waiting until something happens, as you would say, which is is then you've got a diagnosis and then you you try to manage it. And a lot of that management is not necessarily around lifestyle choices, it's around medications or, you know, what's the, the newest drug for this? And I think that we aren't proactive. Mm -hmm. Let's put it that way. We're not proactive about what we do as a society. There are lots of things that, that people could do on a daily basis to help themselves live a healthier life and look for a, a good health span, not just a lifespan, right? We don't wanna just live longer, we wanna live longer, healthier. And I don't think that we do a great job of that, but I think that that the word is out there and we're, we're trying to open this message up, right? And share it with people, which is why I'm excited to be here to talk about it. Right. Because it's not rocket science. And I think that um, there's more that we can do. So being more proactive rather than reactive. Right. And, you know, when you look at uh, society again today, in fact, I frequently go to the Center for Disease Control's website, CDC, mm -hmm. and I look up chronic, chronic conditions and they tell you about them, you know. And what are these, so let me ask you, what are some of the chronic conditions that are running, I'm going to use the term running rampant? You know, in our country and perhaps the world, yeah. and then and then if you walk us through what you think people can actually do themselves to try to ameliorate or even reverse some of them. 
Yeah, yeah. So some of the the things that people, well, I would say the the biggest one is that I think here's some information that people don't really know. We think about heart disease for for men, like we think that's the number one killer for men, but it's actually probably the number one killer for women over 40. Um, So heart disease in women is a really important thing to pay attention to. And the symptoms are different than men. Um, But I would say like, Overall, it's it's metabolic dysfunction, so metabolic disorders, meaning high blood pressure, diabetes, um, obesity, all of those things come together to create this metabolic syndrome, um, heart disease, um, diabetes. Those are some of the bigger things that that people don't realize that we have much more control over. Um, so when you think about any of those things, if you're, and, and I would say in functional medicine, because this is the world that I, I live in, I worked at the Center for Functional Medicine at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, I did my year long functional medicine coaching training there. And that's the, the primarily my practice is working with physicians all over the country and actually outside of this country in the UK as well in the Middle East with people doing functional medicine. So So what we start with is lifestyle, right? We start with nutrition and we look at whole foods, organic foods as much as possible. I know that's not possible for everyone to do, but if you just ate more vegetables, that would be a really good start, right? Eat more vegetables, drink more water, move your body a little bit. Those are simple things anybody can do, right? You don't have to have a lot of money behind you. You can can do that more often. I think we know now that sitting is the new smoking. So a lot of us spend lots of time sitting, right? I'm sitting right now, but I do have a standing desk. So I go in between sitting and standing. Um, You know, little tweaks, I think, are the biggest, most important thing that people overlook. They think, oh, it's too big to do. I got to do all this stuff. I got to eat, you know, paleo or vegan, or I've got to, you know, do a keto diet, or I've got to start running. Absolutely not. It's actually the small tweaks. So get your body moving a little bit. If you just move your body at least like 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, move a little bit after each meal. So you're not sedentary. Um, You know, those are some of the little simple basic things that you can do. So when we talk about lifestyle, though, as I mentioned in the beginning, it's not just nutrition and exercise. That's sort of the old paradigm. We always thought, okay, I just have to move my body more and eat less and then I'll be fine. That's important, but it's also important to pay attention to your sleep. It's important to pay attention to your stress levels and how, not that we're gonna get away with away from stress because stress is everywhere, but how do you respond to stressors? What do you do on a daily basis to keep yourself in a place that you're, um, you're not responding in a, a fight or flight response all the time. Um, we know that sleep and, and sleep apnea or even just disordered sleep or not enough sleep. Um, some people think that they can sleep four or five hours and be fine, but there's a lot of research to support the idea that heart disease and Alzheimer's are very much connected to lack of sleep. So doesn't mean that you're going to get it if all you do is sleep, but that's a factor that people have control over, right? Mm-hmm. Your best sleep comes before midnight. So if you can get to sleep by 10, 1030 um, at the latest and get up, you know, when the sun rises, that's 
again, another way, it's a simple way, right? We in, in the US particularly think it's a badge of honor to say, oh, I only slept five hours and I was working, you know, 24 hours this day. Like go, 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 you know, fast paced. I've got to do intense work all the time. Part of that is, is that society feels that we should be doing that, but that's a detrimental thing for our health. So two things that people don't realize um, raise blood sugar are poor sleep and stress. Wow. I know. <laughs> I was not aware of that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice little pause there for the drama. But what's, what's interesting is that, that we always just think, well, I got to just cut down on carbohydrates and sugar. But when you don't get good enough sleep, there is a hormone called ghrelin that's produced in your body that is our hunger hormone. And we end up wanting to eat a little bit more. And the foods that we wanna eat when we're tired are carbohydrate and sugary foods. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, most of us would, would probably agree when, I'm not, when I don't sleep well and I'm tired, I'm not gonna pay attention as much to what I'm eating and what I'm doing in my day. So um, those are two things to pay attention to, but I think, the other piece of it, right? The stress piece is huge. So there's small little things that you can do during the day. You can stop for three minutes and do a little breath practice. There's a breath practice called heart math that is um, a breath in for five seconds, a breath out for five seconds. It's a, what they call a heart-centered breath because mm -hmm. they've done a lot of research to show that, that what we generate from our bodies um, and the energy we generate from our heart center goes out about five feet. So the best example is you've probably walked into a room somewhere um, where you've said, wow, there's some negative energy in here or some good energy. You feel good energy from people. Mm. You actually do feel that. So the breath practice in for five, out for five, heart centered breath, and then you bring in gratitude and appreciation. We know that that actually connects to your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest. Mm. So if you're in this chronic stress mode through the day of work, if you can slip in some of that breath practice in there, you're then going between, you know, sympathetic and parasympathetic. And we know that's a much more robust system and can bring you less stress at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Usually equates to less eating and better sleep. Yeah. Okay. That's a great mindfulness exercise. I'm going to come back to mindfulness, but you just connected to sleep. And that's what I wanted to get to, to probe a little bit. And the question is, how can a person who is struggling with sleep, you know, produce better sleep in their experience? Oh, that's a great question. I think sleep actually starts with what you do first thing in the morning. So we all think about sleep at night, right? But what you do the first thing in the morning has a great impact on how well you sleep at night because of our circadian rhythm. So most of us, if we were, um, depending on where you are in the US, certainly in uh, Ohio right now, first morning light is not always easy to see, um, but there are ways that you can get that first morning light. So when you wake up in the morning, um, that's when you have the most energy or you should have the most energy, right? Our cortisol levels are the highest in the morning. And so getting that first morning light signals to your brain that it's time to be up and awake and moving into our day, right? And so as you do that, your cortisol level throughout the day starts to come down. 
Um, if you have too much stress, your cortisol level is going to be really high. There's an inverse relationship between cortisol and um, melatonin, which you're probably familiar with. Melatonin is something that we produce in our bodies and helps us get to that point where we want to fall asleep. But if there's too much cortisol because we've been up in this stress place all day, then when we go to fall asleep, we may not be able to produce enough cortisol or enough melatonin to get us to fall asleep. The lights in our houses, the smart TVs, our phones, our computers, all of that signals to our brain, we're still awake. It's not dark. It's time to be awake and stay awake. So what you can do to get better sleep as that cortisol level hopefully is falling through the day, manage your stress, turn down the lights, you know, a couple of hours before you go to bed, maybe you have one or two lights on that have um, a blue light blocking bulb, but you can keep away from your phone as much as possible. Um, closing your laptop, you can wear blue light blocking glasses if you have to have those things open and use them. Um, that actually blocks that light signal that tells your brain keep producing cortisol. And then if you don't have that blue light stimulation, your brain starts to produce melatonin and you start to actually feel like you want to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. So the couple hours before you go to bed, let's say, you know, eight, nine o'clock, if you want to go to bed at 10, that's when you start to power down, right? If you are still busy and doing lots of things, the lights are on, you're starting to ramp up. Have you ever gotten that second wind? Mm -hmm. around nine o'clock yeah. you go oh I got all this energy yeah. I think and then you can't sleep because you've actually gone away from that circadian rhythm and mm. you've you've produced more cortisol than melatonin yeah well in this case technology would be working against us in terms of sleep you know I, my telephone for example is on my nightstand yeah. Which is probably not a good place for it. I'd be mean, get a text at 10 o'clock, you know? So yeah, yeah. Yeah. I usually tell people put it on night and time mode, but also if you can put it at least five feet away from you, you can still use it as an alarm, but it's not gonna wake you up. In my family, it's funny, my niece said to me one day, she goes, Well, I know, I know you don't like answer your phone after eight o'clock or eight thirty or something like that. And I'd never told anybody that, but when you put it on on you know iPhones, you can put it on sleep mode and you can choose the time that it powers down. It'll say, I'm not accepting messages or my messages are silenced. Mm -hmm. So she's like, I know you don't answer messages. And I try to keep to that because, you know, and I know not everybody can do that because if you've got a family member that you have to pay attention to or children or something like that, you, you need to have the phone accessible. Mm -hmm. If somebody's going to call you, you can get it. But if you have it at least you know, at a table that's a little further away um, from your bed space, then it's a little bit better. You know, you're, you're not being exposed to that and you're not um, answering a text at 10 o'clock at night. Right. Um, you mentioned managing stress uh, a moment ago, and I want to return to that because I, I've also heard you say that all stress is not bad. So uh, I want to back up. My question really is, is stress something that we get to live with that is, you manage it, but you know, there's some stress that's good, as I've heard you say elsewhere. Can you talk with us about that? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of my favorite topics, by the way. I, that's it's just one of the things that I really love to talk about. I'm actually creating a course that's going to launch in January um, around stress and understanding it because it 
our bodies are meant to have this dynamic system. Our autonomic nervous system is supposed to respond to stress, right? When we're in that fight or flight place, that has to happen sometimes, right? Evolutionary wise, when we were cavemen, we had to like survey the land and make sure there was no tiger that was going to eat us. And so that ramped up when that happened so that you could get away from it. Now we live in a society where everything seems like a, you know, a, a stress problem, right? That everything is a tiger chasing us. It's not the case, but that's kind of how our bodies have learned to respond. The system is robust, right? You should be able to, to get up to that fight or flight when you need to, but bring it down into that rest and digest when you need it as well. If you're in that place a little bit too much, that's chronic stress. Yeah. That doesn't have to be, right? It's the way we respond to things. Yeah. But there's also this idea of thinking that stress is an enhancing thing because you're not stressed about your kids' grades because you just want to be stressed. You're stressed because you care about that person, mm. you value that person. So in that way, it's a good thing, but we have to really learn to moderate that and figure out, okay, how do I put these, these practices in place so that, you know, it's not that stress is going to be gone forever from our lives. That's certainly never going to be the case, right? But it's the way that we interpret that stressor. Mm. So certainly things are, are not like if somebody passes away in your life, which I had recently, um, my sister passed away this past Sorry. month. Really tough situation, right? That stress is not something you're going to go, well, that's a positive thing, right? No, that's not what I'm doing, right? So what you have to do, I think, and, and the research bears this out from Stanford University, Dr. Ali Crum is a researcher in stress there, and she's done some really great work in that. But what you do is you say, what is this an opportunity for me to, to learn? Mm -hmm. Where can I practice some patience? Where can I be in this? And it's still sad, but you can say to yourself, okay, what did I get to do in this moment because this happened that I may not have had otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of reframing it, refocusing. And that I think is, is one of the things that helps us to create more health in our life. Mm -hmm because stress is always going to be there. Yeah. There are things that you can say, I'm going to step back from this energy and people who are energy vampires, a job that might be stressful that you get no purpose from um, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. I see. It's not the thing, but our response is, and you're right, we can't eliminate everything from the environment. So no. No. we can manage our responses though. Yeah, absolutely. I want to apply your word manage. You mentioned manage our stress. I want to apply it to optimal health and wellness because I know your thing is optimal health, helping people achieve optimal health and wellness. Is that something that we can actually achieve and hold on to? Or is it something that needs to be managed like we manage stress? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's, it's a lifestyle. So mm -hmm. when you think about it, you don't just achieve it and then bam, you're there. And then you don't have to do anything else. Mm -hmm. It's a day, it's a daily lifestyle thing, right? So in every moment, we have a choice to make that moves us towards our health or away from our health, right? So maybe the holidays are coming. That's a perfect example. So 
I like to think about the 80-20 rule. 80% of the time, maybe even 90% of the time, you're making the choices that you know are the best choice for your body. But 20% of that time, you're at a wedding, you're going to celebrate for somebody, right? Maybe you'll have a little piece of that cake. You're, you're having, you know, Thanksgiving dinner with your family, right? As long as you're, you know that it's not an allergy of the food or it's something that, that might really cause you some problems, you might indulge in a few things, right? But the majority of the time, you're going to make choices that move you towards that healthier state of life. And so maybe when you're on vacation, you know, you may do something a little bit different. There's times where your life is stressful and you can't always exercise to the same potential or meditate in the morning the way that you want to. But if you can cut it down to a smaller amount on those days where you feel like I don't have a minute to do anything, but you probably could create 10 or 15 minutes to do some sort of exercise or movement or some sort of breath practice for stress or meditation, certainly that's what you're going to do. So it ebbs and flows, but it's really a lifestyle. It's a choice. Yeah. yeah. I guess if you, if you live life as if you're in a straight jacket, you may not stick with it, exactly. but if it's something that's sustainable, perhaps, you know, it's something that you can live with long-term. Is that about what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, sometimes people get a little too um, restrictive with themselves and um, or they've got this all or nothing mentality. Um, oftentimes that's what I'm helping people understand. A lot of my, my coaching is very slow. It's about small tweaks. It's not about going full force into something. Um, January, right? New Year's Day is one of those times when people set all these super goals and they want to like achieve all of them. And I think that when you set the goal a little too high, then you're setting yourself up for failure. Mm -hmm. So uh, looking for smaller goals that get you where you want to go is really the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. Would you describe yourself, um, Karen, as a, as a plant-based advocate or are you more flexible than that? Well, I've gotten more flexible uh, in the in the years that I've been in functional medicine, just based on my own um, testing. For many, many, many years, I was very plant based, and that was, and I am for the most part. I mean, I've added salmon into my diet. Um, it makes it a little bit easier um, sometimes going out to dinner, but there's so many other options now that are very plant based. So I'm probably. 90% plant-based. I don't do any dairy. I don't do any um, meats. I don't do red meat. I don't do chicken. I don't do eggs. Um, so I'm very much plant-based. I feel like for me, that is, that makes me feel really good, right? Um, it's the other day I was talking to someone who, there's a test that you can do. Um, it's part of a cardiovascular workup if you want to really be preventative and it's a coronary um, artery CT scan that you can do to see if there's any blockage in your arteries, right? You can do this as a preventative measure. We can see what's going on. Um, and I was talking to someone the other day, they asked me um, what my score was because I did that about five years ago, I think. And it was a zero. And I was nervous about it because I thought, you know, I've got a history of heart disease in my family and 
I don't know what this is going to say. I've worked really hard at this, but I don't, I have no idea. Um, and a zero is, is pretty much the best score you can get. Now, I don't know if it's still like that, but what I'm saying is that I think that, um, you know, this person said to me, wow, that's amazing. Not many people get a zero. And I said, I, I don't know that that's true, that not many people get a zero, but I also think, and it's not the only test to look at, right? There's a couple other tests. It's not, you know, there's some false positives or false negatives. Um, but I think that you can, the reason that I did that and went plant-based was because of my father's heart attack at 36. Yeah. I thought I did not win the genetic lottery here. I got to make sure that something, you know, that I do something about this. But I also realized from my functional medicine training that stress was probably a very, very big factor in that, um, you know, historical stress, trauma as a child, all of those things can affect your health as well. And so I think we can't just be isolated in thinking it's just food and movement. Yeah. You know, and I guess what you mentioned uh, you know, testing a moment ago. One of the good things about medicine is that you can get all kinds of tests done, you know, to figure yeah. out, you know, cholesterol, all of that stuff can be scanned. And yeah. then maybe can we can we use food then like medicine? That is, we deploy food. So if you go if you go in, you know that you're overweight, you want to yeah. lose, well, plant-based might be one way to achieve it. What do you think? Use food. Absolutely. Food, yeah. I mean. That's that's sort of a mantra of functional medicine. It's food is medicine. Food is information for your body. When food comes into your body, your body looks at it and goes, okay, what can I do with this? Is this something that I need? Um, and it uses it as information. And so definitely a plant-based diet is, you have to do it the right way though. I remember when I first started working at the Center for Functional Medicine and the docs found out that I was, um, plant-based vegan. That was really, I wasn't even eating salmon at that point. Um, they were like, most of the people we see doing plant-based or vegan are not super healthy. You have to be very careful about doing a plant-based diet. You have to make sure that you get enough protein, that you eat a very balanced diet because you can eat a junk food, plant-based diet or vegan diet as well. That's Everything right. has a label on it now that says plant-based, right? Yeah. Or gluten-free. Yeah. If you, you're not eating processed foods, foods that come in containers, and you're eating whole foods and real foods, that's the way to do it. And to make sure that you get enough of the, the, the protein and the balance of good fats and good carbohydrates. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that a lot of packaging may say plant-based, but yeah. some of these manufacturers are liars. <laughs> what do you think? They're selling products, well, right? Marketing products. I think <laughs> yeah, I think there's a term called greenwashing, right? There's a so you can put anything on the front of a, a, a package and you can say it's plant-based if it has maybe one plant in it. Mm -hmm. And frankly, our FDA doesn't really follow through with anything on, on that. You know, we have to fight really hard to make sure that the ingredients are understandable. So all you have to do is turn it over and look at the ingredients. Right. Don't look at what the advertisement is, look at the ingredients. And if there are things you don't recognize, if there are gums, um, if there are if something like carrageenan, um, then you probably don't want to, to do that. And the first ingredients that are listed are the ones that are um, the most plentiful in that product. So if it's the first couple of ingredients listed, that's really what's in the product. Mm -hmm. So there's ways that we can arm ourselves. Um, we can figure those things out, 
but it's sometimes it's hard. Um, and that's, that's what I help people navigate through all the complexity and the, the things that are difficult to understand. Everybody's got a different diet. I think it's very personalized. Yeah. So I would never say that everybody should be plant-based or everybody should be vegan or everybody should be paleo or keto. I think it's very personalized. Mm -hmm. And in functional medicine, a lot of dietitians and physicians will help people figure out what is the best diet for me. Mm -hmm. And everybody wants to, you know, food is definitely the low hanging fruit. You can certainly start with that. Um, but as I said, there's a plethora of other things that influence that. Right. I think you're right. Um, you know, it's important because, I, and what I wanted to improve my health, I, I wanted to change my diet, Karen, but I didn't know really what to do. And this is what you're saying is that we have to work with someone to learn what to do, at least initially. Yeah. So that we, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that in my experience, the triad of a functional medicine practitioner, a health coach, and a dietitian is like a really great group to work with, right? Because you've got, I'm not a dietitian, although most people want to talk to me about food all the time. I'm not going to make a meal plan for you. I'm not going to do, you know, calorie counting or tell you what your macros should be. I will say, Hey, here's some, you know, the basic information is like eat real food, eat whole foods, eat a good balance of things. Make sure you have protein, fats, and carbohydrates in each meal. But I leave all the other stuff up to a dietitian because they, they are incredibly trained to really give you the best information, but also in functional medicine, we do testing to know what is it that really works for you. You can see, does my body really process fats as well as I think they do? If they don't, or does my body process carbohydrates as well as I think? Um, carbohydrates are not bad, right? Everybody wants to say, but when you think about carbohydrates, things like sweet potatoes and beets and cauliflower, those are all carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to be gained from eating a plant forward kind of a diet, um, but paying attention to what's personal to you. Yeah. And in this country, I mean, you know, at least from my experience, sometimes it's like bigger, the better, you know, you get, right. a, you get a burger. We, we started with a single patty, then you get yeah. a triple decker. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Supersize it, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. I want to shift now just a little bit. You've touched upon it a moment you know, as we've been talking. I want to shift a little bit to mindfulness and kind of walk us through what is first, what is mindfulness and why is this important? in a person's life. Yeah. Mindfulness, um, I think from uh, John Kabat-Zinn, who is the person that started the mindfulness-based stress reduction um, way back in the 70s um, at, uh, uh, you know, in a hospital system in Massachusetts, he started uh, that practice with pa patients who had chronic pain. And I think his, his definition is probably the one that I, I like the best. And he would say, it's about being present in the moment with what you are doing without judgment. Mm. So the evidence for mindfulness in our lives, in terms of, of helping us to be our healthiest, most present selves is enormous now, right? They, there's so much research around mindfulness meditation. They've even put, um, They've even put um, monks in 
that, that, that um, meditate all the time in fMRIs so they can actually see what part of their brains are lighting up. When you think about mindfulness in every day, excuse me, mm -hmm. it's about, you can, you can embed that into anything, which is why I think it's a tool that I like to use with my busiest, most, you know, go, go, go kind of people, um, particularly healthcare workers. And an example of mindfulness is every time you wash your hands, right? You're present with feeling the water and the soap on your hands. You're looking at how your hands are getting clean. You're smelling the scent of maybe that soap. You're present in knowing that, that I'm, I'm wiping off you know, what I've just done and I'm moving towards something else. It's being present with all the senses, but also not judging yourself if your mind wanders away from that in the moment, right? You just go, oh, okay. I, you know, my mind wandered. I'm going to bring it right back and and stay present in the moment. Yeah. There's also another woman named Ellen Langer who I absolutely love. She's great to look up her. She's a, a social psychologist out of Harvard, mm -hmm. and if you look up one of her YouTube videos, she talks about mindfulness and she talks about it in everyday things. She said, you know, you don't have to meditate to get mindful. You can just gaze at your partner, right? Whether that's your husband, your wife, your partner, whoever that might be, or your child, look at them with new eyes, with fresh eyes, as if you've never seen them before. Look at their eyes, notice something different, be present, listen to what they're doing, listen to what they're talking about, rather than ticking off that list in your mind of things that you need to do. Um, you know, I'll often ask people, people will say to me, you know, I, I, I'm a, maybe they're a runner and when they run, that's their mindfulness moment. And I say, well, tell me where your mind is when you're running. And they'll be saying, well, I'm, I'm solving problems. I'm thinking about work. I'm going through my list of things I need to do. I'm organizing myself, which isn't really mindfulness in the running action, right? So mindfulness in running would be, I'm paying attention to the wind on my face. I'm listening to the birds. I'm noticing what scents are around. I'm paying attention to the sound of my feet hitting the pavement as I take each step. That's mindfulness. And so what it does is it gives your brain a break mm -hmm. from all the intensity of focusing on these things that our brains go through on a daily basis. We have like 50,000 thoughts a day. And we need a break from that. Oftentimes people have low energy because their minds are so busy. It's maybe not that they're not getting good rest. It's that they're not giving their brain a rest. Mm -hmm. So mindfulness can be embedded in anything that you do. Yeah. As you were talking about that, you know, I, I just felt, you know, slow down, <laughs> you know, yeah. just because yeah. maybe, sometimes I can drink a glass of water. Sometimes I can go, just slow down. <laughs> you know, that could be a mindfulness yeah. practice. Yeah. yeah. You also use the word, though, uh, without judgment, judgment. And I wonder, I'm wondering, in a culture where religion is so important and where the judgment is a part of that, is, it seems a little difficult here. Uh, work with me. Help me out. How, how, you hear what I'm saying. How do yeah, you? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you help me understand what you're meaning about like the judgment and religion. Help well, me understand. You know, uh, 
the judgment of God, you're going to go to hell, um, you know, that kind of thing is that is that we, we live in, in a culture whereby religion can also induce guilt and anxiety, as opposed to the other word, because you also talk about spirituality, but I want, I want to separate that for a moment, but I want you to address this for first, please. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I understand that because I grew up in the Catholic religion and that's full of lots of guilt <laughs> that, you know, my mother grew up going to like, I mean, she just was in Catholic school from kindergarten to high school. And she thought that if she just had a thought that it was the same as committing the, the whatever it was. And she thought, well, how do I do that? Like I have these thoughts and I'm not like in control of it. But I think, you know, you're right. There can be um, judgment certainly comes from many different places and we judge ourselves all the time. And I think that that, you know, if that's been embedded to, with with certain religions that maybe you grew up with, it's it's definitely very difficult to let it go. But that's why mindfulness and meditation are called a practice. Mm -hmm. It's a practice like nobody gets perfect at it in the beginning. And I think when people sit down to do a mindfulness meditation or a, a practice like that, just the act of sitting down, you've already achieved it, right? So if your mind wanders 50 times, that's an opportunity to practice coming back to that, that breath or coming back to what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. So you think of it as an opportunity to practice rather than judging yourself and beating yourself up for not doing it. And I think they're, you know, inherent in, in a lot of what we do in functional medicine can almost seem like, like that person feels guilty about, oh, you know, I didn't eat the right way when I was growing up. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. It's not about that. It's just, here's some awareness on what we can do now. Like, let's let go of what was, was back there in the, in the past. Um, but let's not judge what we're doing right now. So I think that's, that's part of the way I, does that help you understand it that, a little that bit? That helps, yeah. I hear a lot of mindfulness in that, you know, because I guess you, you can, a person can make almost anything toxic. I mean, you can make plant-based toxic. Uh, you know, you know you, you're eating plant-based and suddenly you got a piece of shrimp and you're, you're beating yourself up because you got one shrimp, you know, <laughs> that's not mindfulness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, spirituality, though, shows up in your work. What does that mean to you and how does this figure into mindfulness as you see it? Yeah, yeah. So usually when I'm working with people, I ask about um, spirituality in their lives. And I'll explain it. I'll, I'll start from saying, now that can mean anything from being out in the woods and feeling like you get a sense that there's something greater than, than what's right in front of you, or all the way to organized religion. So whatever that person feels is in their life, then I think that is where we start from, right? I'm certainly not going to tell someone they have to join a church. But I think to me, a sense of spirituality means that you know you're not alone, right? And we're, we're all kind of one. And nature can be a very, very strong piece of spirituality. Like I feel like I get a sense of spirituality and that there's there's a greater good and there's something beyond my, a higher vibration and something beyond my, my knowing out in nature. And that's where I feel like I get it. Um, but there's a grounding, there's an energy. And so spirituality can be different for every person, but I, I think that it's important to have that, that sense of something else, right? Something bigger. 
Right. In your work, you also, uh, you've also served, or you also serve as a health and wellness writer. What do you do in your writings? What are some of your goals when you write a piece about health and wellness? Yeah, um, really it's about empowerment. Um, I, I feel like most people don't realize that they have more power around their own health. They feel like they need to go to someone, to a doctor, to figure out what's going wrong, right or wrong, um, and that the doctor has the answer or somebody else has the answer. I think that when you stop and slow down and listen to your body and start to pay attention to what your body's telling you, then you actually have more information than most people think. So I think when I, when I write, so there's blogs or even with my podcast, just writing some of the descriptions and some of the things that we talk about there, um, it's about empowerment. I just want people to know that that there are so many things that you can do to take control of your own health and wellness. And I ultimately think that, and this may sound way out there to you, but I feel like like a little bit of what I do, when people feel better, they're happier. Yeah. They're more engaged. They're they're willing to be around more people. They're more open to things. And so I feel like that's sort of bringing peace to the world mm -hmm. by helping people feel better. When you don't feel good, you're crabby. Yeah. You may not want to interact with people. You're not, you're feeling your best. And there's a lot of mental health wellness yeah. that can come with a lot of what we work on. So some people, you know, can move through things like depression and anxiety because some of those can be driven by what's going on in your gut. Yeah. And an imbalance of bacteria. And that's directly related to the, the foods and the things that you've created in your, or not created, but been exposed to, maybe even not to your own knowing. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned the expert, um, because, you know, uh, well, historically, people have gone to the expert. You know, if something's wrong, you go to the doctor, you go to somebody, you go to some expert to tell you. What I like, though, about what I saw in your profile is that I think you used the word, co-creating with your clients. I love that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How yeah. you work with clients and this whole notion of co-creating? Sure. I also want to make a caveat about going to a professional that there are lots of times that you actually do need to see. Indeed. Indeed. So, so I'm certainly not advocating that you never see your doctor, but you know there are more things that we have control over. So co-creating is really, um, when I work with someone, as a coach, uh, it's not top-down model. It's not me saying, here's what you have to do. I will say things like, you know, have you ever thought about anything to help you with your stress? And most people will go, well, maybe, you know, some people say no. Some people will say, well, you know, I, I've been curious about meditation and I wondered about that. And so if somebody says to me, I just don't want to meditate. I tried it once before. That's just not for me. I'm not going to say, oh, that's the only way you can get there. You've mm. got to sit down and meditate 20 minutes a day. What I do is I try to, to understand that person. I meet them where they are and get them where they want to go doing certain things that they're open to. Now, yeah. sometimes that means I have to help them open their mind to things, but there's nothing about what I do that is, is forceful. I, I Hopefully most people would say that if they work with me, you yeah. know, I'm not telling them they have to do something, but I'm saying, here's your options. 
this is what could potentially happen if you did X, Y, or Z. Here's why it's important. Here's how it affects your physiology and your life. Here's how it may get you to the goal that you're, you're looking to achieve. And I'm really lucky in functional medicine that people come to us pretty open, right? Mm -hmm. They're not, they're generally not people who've gone to the doctor, just gotten a diagnosis of diabetes. And the doctor says, you need to change your diet and they don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. These are people that come to us having researched functional medicine, maybe having seen a lot of people and not getting the results they want. They're, they're ready to go. They're open to most things. So there's not a lot of, of, you know, openness to change that I have to help create in my clients. They're usually pretty open, but the co-creation is really that it's a partnership. I work with you and, and guide you to where you feel like you want to go. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And you also founded the Full Capacity Living Coaching Firm. Uh, did I say it right? And the, I was going to ask you two questions. How did you come up with this, this term this you know for your business, Full Capacity Living? Where did that come from? Oh, first? such a great question. Um, so I previously mentioned John Kabat-Zinn. Mm-hmm. He is, um, uh, he's an MD that, um, that actually does a lot of work in mindfulness. And he has a book called Full Catastrophe Living. Mm. And it's, it's a seminal book. It's just got so much great information in it. And I, I understand the reason why he, he titled it that, but I wanted to find something that was like empowering and in the positive direction, right? Full capacity living is that you could achieve a full capacity life with you know, digging into some of these health and wellness things. So that's kind of where I, I took that name as, as a twist on the title of his book. Yeah, I like it. I like yeah. it. I like it, actually. Yeah. And then you started the Full Capacity Podcast. What prompted you to become a podcaster, podcast host? Well, so I was talking about doing that for, for a while when I was at the clinic. I didn't have the time to do it then. Um, and then I, I kept saying to myself, you know what, this keeps popping up in your mind and you want to do it. You just need to do it. And really it's about um, giving information to people so that they can learn for free, right? Here's some great information. You can take this information and maybe start to apply it in your own life. And that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to give people information that didn't, it, it's, it can be expensive to do functional medicine. Yeah. And so I, I really want to just share with people the information so that they can have it. Um, I haven't, so my podcast, because of what happened with my sister, my last one that I, um, I uploaded was in February and it's, I just redid my website and I'm, I'm ramping up to kind of rekindle that. Um, I gave myself time off and I, I realized that I needed that. And I thought, you know, um, this is what I tell my patients to do, to be kind to yourself, to give yourself time. Grieving is a process that, that is just up and down. And I, I, that's one of the things that I know um, can affect our health. So if I want to be an authentic health coach, I got to practice what I preach. So, so I took some time off of it because it really is, um, it's a lot of work, as you know, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's a, a work of love and passion for me. So it's coming back. That's fantastic. Well, I have a few favorites and I'm going to throw them out and, 
And if you remember them, uh, I won't, I'm inviting you to just make a couple of comments, but okay. one of my favorites is the one involving transforming trauma. Oh, I yeah. thought, oh boy, that's, that's one that the world needs to hear about. So yeah. do you recall yeah. that one? And can you give us just a nugget or two? Yeah, Dr. James Gordon, he is um, part of the Mind-Body Institute. Well, he created the Mind-Body Institute. And he's, a, I was like super excited that he said yes to be on my podcast because he's a, a pretty, um, you know, influential person and his work in trauma, um, he's done amazing work in trauma all over the world, wherever, you know, like in the Ukraine, he's been in the Ukraine recently. So in Bosnia in in any area that has trauma and not, not to keep out the US, right? Because we have our own trauma here. Um, but some of the practices that he um, uses are helpful for me to help people in my practice that when they want something for stress relief, and they're just at this place where they're like, I can't sit and meditate, or I can't do that breath practice. That's just too much. Um, he does belly breathing, but he also does this movement where you're just kind of letting your body go. And it's so, it's so, it's really beautiful to let go of stress and anxiety. You'd be surprised at how just kind of moving your body and just letting it go. So that's one of my favorite things from that podcast. And it was really fun to talk to him because he's, he's really, um, he's done some amazing work. Right. Well, the, when you, as you were talking about that, um, the body and mind, you know, the body is intelligent and the body can get a sense of what it needs to do to get you out of it. So that was yeah. a good one. I, I like that. The yeah. second one that struck me because I wanted to talk with you about the immune system, immune system health, immune system health. But then as I was studying you, I saw, oh, the immunotype breakthrough. I'll have to save this question about immune system until I got to the end. Yeah. Do you recall that one? The immunotype yeah. breakthrough, this book. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Dr. Heather Monet, she's actually one of the docs that I do some work with. Um, she's an immunologist. So an MD immuno immunologist by trade. She's also integrative and functional medicine trained. Um, so her book is really interesting because it, it sort of takes you through um, in functional medicine, we create a timeline with people. And so we look back to even preconception, what was going on with your mom at that point? Um, you know, what happened when you were born? Were you breastfed? Were you, um, you know, cesarean section, vaginal, and all through your life. So what this does is it actually looks at a couple different types, like four, I think it's four or five. Um, I have it right here. <laughs> four or five different immunotypes based on symptoms that you've had, experiences that you've had, and they go from kind of mild to a little bit more severe. So you can kind of plug yourself in there and she gives you some great suggestions around how to deal with that and what to do with it. Um, you know, there are some people we see, their immune system is just on fire, right? They've got symptoms and sensitivities to everything you could possibly imagine. And then there's some people who have just a couple of symptoms and a couple of things not going right. So it really, um, it's the level of what your immune system is doing. And I think it's a brilliant book. Um, I love that podcast. She was actually, she started my podcast the year I started it. And she was the last podcast in that first year. So wow. she was bookended in my yeah. podcast. She's really That's great. Good. Well, yeah. she came up with a nice title for the book. Yeah. 
The last one I'll throw out, and I just thought that this title was intriguing. I just couldn't pass it up. Energy medicine. I thought, what is that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Allison, uh, so that was um, a woman out of uh, the Bay Area. And actually, I just reached out to her the other day. She's moved to Florida since. Um, But the energy medicine is around you know, the, the stress and the trauma are connections there, right? When something happens to us, it can get stuck in our bodies and we need to kind of work through that. So energy medicine includes um, sort of somatic therapies in a way, like paying attention to what your body is telling you, where are you feeling tension and kind of working through that. Um, but some of the other energy practices that we use are things like Reiki or acupuncture um, just those healing modalities to move energy through your body. So it's not stuck. So stuck energy sometimes can create symptoms. And that's why I mentioned that I took the time that I did away from my podcast and did some healing around the grief that I have around my sister, because that's an energy that can get stuck in our bodies. I'm not saying it's all gone. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm, I'm perfect at it, but I really think that that we don't connect those things to our health. You you often hear, oh, um, you know, so and so fell and broke their hip, and you know, all of a sudden, all these things started happening. Well, those things were probably brewing in their body even prior to this, right? Stress. Then all of a sudden, you get an infection. Then you take antibiotics. Then you see this cascade of things happening. That's one of the reasons why we do a timeline in functional medicine and why it's really important to let go of some of that. And it can be trauma. It can be things from childhood that you can release through that energy medicine. Got it. Fantastic. Well, Karen, I really enjoyed our conversation conversation today. Thank you. Thank you so much. It It was really fun to talk to you. This is if you can't tell, it's a passion of mine to talk about all this. So uh, I can tell for sure. I can tell. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you once again. And uh, when you write, have you written uh, your book or is this something in, in, in the works? No, no, I don't. I don't have a book in the works, but there's a, a course on stress that I'm, I'm creating and will um, come out in 2023. Well, so maybe it's, who knows, maybe it's the book in progress. I don't know. I would love to know, be one of the first to know when this course comes out. So keep okay. in mind. I will let you know. Yeah, thank okay. you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been listening to or watching the Possibility Action Network podcast. Our guest today has been Karen Bush, a functional medicine and integrative medicine coach. Karen, once again, thank you for being with us. I'm your host, Stephen Middleton. Until next time, good day 